Hello everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Political Agenda. It's a fortnightly podcast discussing Singapore and Singaporean issues presented by New Narrative, which is a platform for Southeast Asian journalism, research, art and community building. I'm Kirsten Han, Editor-in-Chief of New Narrative, and I'll be hosting today. This podcast is usually hosted by our Managing Director, PJ Thumb, but he's in Oslo and the Arctic Circle this week, flying the New Narrative flag at the Future Talks conference, so here's a shout out to PJ wherever he is right now. And on this week's podcast, we are taking a look at Crazy Rich Asians through a Singaporean lens, and with me today are Ruby, Aisha and Faris, and I'll just let them introduce themselves. I'm Ruby. I'm the editor-in-chief of Minor Magazine. We're an annual print magazine and we focus on untold Singapore stories. Um, I'm Aisha and I'm the editor-in-chief of The Local Rebel. Uh, We're also a magazine. Um, We do focus on intersectional feminism and we try to talk about local social politics. Hi, I'm Faris. I'm an undergraduate at Yale and US College. Um, And I'm hoping to specialize in early modern Southeast Asian history. So Crazy Rich Asians opened earlier this month in the US to enormous hype and it's like the first Hollywood film with an all-Asian cast in 25 years and it also premiered in Singapore where most of the story unfolds on Tuesday and I think three of us have been to see it, Faris hasn't yet seen it. Um, but So just to give like sort of potted summary of the film, it's based on Kevin Kwan's best-selling novel of the same name, and the story follows a Chinese-American economics professor by the name of Rachel Chu as she travels to Singapore with her boyfriend to attend his best friend's wedding. And for some reason, she's never ever like Googled him in her life, so it's only on this trip that she discovers he's like damn rich. Lah. <laughs> so, so the film has been heavily marketed as a movement and a milestone for representation in Hollywood, but Singaporeans have kind of been a little bit more and tempered, I think, in the reception. And definitely, I've given it a lot more side-eye than I've seen Asian Americans give it. So we just wanted to dig a little deeper in this week's podcast, using Crazy Rich Asians as a sort of jumping-off point to explore issues of representation and inequality from a Singaporean perspective. And so here's just a warning before we begin. We are not going to review the film, but there will most likely be spoilers in this podcast. So I kind of feel like Crazy Rich Asians is sort of unspoilerable film because I'm pretty sure everyone knows how it ends but if you're the sort of person who doesn't like to hear anything about a film before you watch it then you know you're, you've been warned and so let's let's just begin to talk about representation which is really the the hot topic you know that's that's been going around with crazy rich Asians because that's how they market themselves as a really revolutionary milestone for representation so how do you feel as a Singaporean when you see it celebrated like this? So for me, I suppose I've, I mean, it, it came under my radar first two years ago, actually, when they first announced Crazy Rich Asians coming out. And this was before like production started. And this was when it came out. I think it was the New York Times or something like that. And already it was talking about how this is going to be a huge like win for representation. Um, for Asian Americans. And already I was writing like angry Facebook posts in response um, to it. Um, and like the, 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 the common, the most common response I get mostly were from, um, Chinese Singaporean friends who were saying, this is just a movie. Why are you, it shouldn't matter so much and things like that. But I think, um, it's important to understand with, especially when you're talking about representation, Hollywood still does have like a major sway over how the rest of the world, 
seize um, you know other countries um, things like that it, it it it's still very influential in the way societies are perceived um, a lot of Hollywood films set in the Middle East have had a very detrimental effect on how like Americans view Muslims and you know the Arab world etc so like when you have Singapore under the spotlight in Hollywood um, in a in a way that isn't like faithful to how Singapore is in reality, then you're going to have a very misinformed... I mean, you're going to cultivate a very misinformed image of Singapore for the outside world. So how do you feel as a Singaporean when you see Crazy Rich Asians celebrated as such a milestone? At first, I think I wanted to believe, you know, I was very excited that, ooh, this is something that's never been done before and it seems to not try to lend itself to the larger politics. It's not so serious in that sense and it doesn't have to be serious, right? But as I kind of read the book and I didn't finish reading the book I couldn't and I watched the movie I was just very deeply uncomfortable because this was clearly very specifically about a um, specific Asian demographic that had no interest in people like me or people who looked like me and after that it just kind of took out the fun and even aside from the politics right it just felt very just felt very disappointing I think um because there's that push towards representation when clearly there isn't. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, was there a reason why you couldn't finish reading the book? <laughs> I mean, I think it was meant to be a very trashy novel, which was fine, you know, I like trashy novels. But I, it just didn't feel right, because as much as it's meant to be a satire, it wasn't even smart enough to be a satire, right? Like, I couldn't tell what they were trying to make fun of, and I couldn't try to piece out these people who were supposed to be real but not real and yeah I found it very hard to accept that it was satire because everybody was saying that it was satire and then I was reading it and I was like am I missing something maybe maybe I don't understand what satire is after all then I had to like google what satire means to make sure that it's what I thought <laughs> oh it means because I, like, you. Oh. <laughs> I was just like what is how is this satire I, I didn't quite get it because it didn't it did feel like poking fun but it wasn't like Satirical. But it wasn't like biting. Right. Yeah. It wasn't self-aware. It yeah, wasn't. Exactly. exactly. You would expect satire to interrogate the... Po- like, the comedy is based on an interrogation of the mm. politics behind it, right? But it doesn't get to that level. Like, just because you call one character Go Pang Sai doesn't make it satire. You know, like, it was just really... <laughs> There's a character called Go Pang Sai. In the book. I think so. Right. I, I think so. But wow. then, yeah. In the second book, there's someone whose who's name is like Taito Lui oh. or something like that, which means too much money. Oh. And, and it's just like... So yeah, funny. but that doesn't make it satire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, you mentioned that you realize that we didn't care about people who look like you. And I think you're talking about like minority representation. Um, yeah, I think it's been interesting because it's been framed as minority representation win for Asian Americans because there's so few of them in the media, um, in their, their country's media, that it's significant for them to see themselves on the big screen, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and there's been a lot of talk among Singaporeans about how this movie doesn't represent our minorities in the way that it's championing minority representation in the States. So, like, there are no, there are no real Malay and Indian characters. Let's just be real. Like, if they're in the movie, like, I wouldn't call them characters. characters. They're kind of like... Props. Yeah. Background dressing. Mm. But I also... I think when the news of the movie broke and I, when I saw the trailer and everything, I didn't expect it to represent minorities. I also don't really care. And I think that comes from a place of, like, we as a country are already struggling to explain why it's important to represent minorities in our own media and we're fighting for 
recognition that this is an important subject and that Singapore is a multi-layered place where we all have different experiences that play out differently in, in storytelling. And if like my own country is not getting it right, it's a real stretch to expect that Hollywood in the US would, um, especially because it's not like many Americans can point to where Singapore is on a map to begin with. I think for me it was just anger at the fact that Hollywood would have the audacity to 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 choose Singapore at all as a site for the to to make a movie because they've never gotten Singapore right. Let's be honest. Pirates of the Caribbean, Saint Jack. I mean, Singapore has always been like a, a tabula rasa. I mean, it's just been a blank slate for you know American filmmakers to project their own um, idea of what an Oriental city, a, a, a super modern, high tech, futuristic mm-hmm. Oriental city looks like um, and, and it's never going to be able to capture like the, the nuances uh, of yeah I think it wasn't because it was set in Singapore I think it's mm-hmm. just because like Kevin Kwan's novel is a Singapore um, it's set in Singapore I wouldn't call it a Singapore novel <laughs> but it's like he hasn't been home home and I use that in like quotes he hasn't been back mm. for years so he left when he was 11 right he left he when he was 11 about- he can't come home so like I wouldn't call it a book born out of Singapore but like he's named it Crazy Rich Asians and Hollywood's having a moment now where they're realising that minorities are very bankable mm-hmm. they like to produce movies with minorities because minorities will show up and pay money you know and, mm-hmm. and lots of like Asian Americans have been saying on Twitter and on Facebook like you have a moral obligation to support this movie you have to like buy tickets so that Hollywood will fund more projects starring Asians some of the cast and some of the like more prominent Asian American celebrities are buying tickets and paying it forward to people who can't afford to see the movie. Wow. Yeah. So, like, it's having a moment, and I feel like it just so happens that it happens that it's in Singapore because it's touted as an Asian movie, but it could literally be anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be Shanghai, Hong Kong, Taiwan. Yeah. Yeah. And I wouldn't have cared so much if it was a poor... Like, yeah, as you said, it wouldn't be the first time, right, Singapore has been mm-hmm. misrepresented. And I think I would have been far more likely to kind of shrug it off if it wasn't so constantly played up as, oh, this is representation, yeah. we are so thoughtful, we yes. made sure that like there was all these cultural nuances taken care of, we like got down to the point where we noticed MSG packets on the table. Oh, right, and yeah. it was just like, if you're, if you're going to keep saying this while basically dumping on the representation of Singapore, then why why is this okay? You know, if you just said, look, this is a fun summer rom-com set in Singapore or what we think Singapore is, just go watch it and have fun. People would be much more likely to just let it go. It was just this whole, like, this is a, like, as a friend was saying today, they just put lipstick on a pig and then get quite upset when someone's like, still pig though. (laughs) Wow. But I think it's it goes beyond that, right? Because like it's one thing to misrepresent Singapore as you think it is, but like we were all watching it and we felt that the Sinocentrism was very deliberate, like the Chineseness, right? Mm-hmm. And like you two have thoughts about how Chineseness is represented here, but it was just so there was just like no let up. The fact that well, the songs were in Chinese like all the time, and this is not even Singapore. Like that's not. It was just so nauseating. And yeah, just for people listening in to kind of give you context, the film starts with like this black screen with a one-line text, which is a quote from Napoleon Bonaparte. And it says, China is a sleeping giant. Let her sleep for when she wakes, she will move the world. And then the film opens and none of it's actually in China, it's actually in Singapore. So 
to me, that was like from the very first opening of the film. This is how you're going to position Singapore. This is what you think Singapore is. You're going to position Singapore in proximity to China and some sort of imagined homeland of Chinese Americans when they think about what's in Asia. And so it, it was very much like, it wasn't just a, oops, we didn't cast any Malay Singaporeans or Indian Singaporeans. It was a, no, we didn't cast them because we think Singapore is a Chinese country. So, so it's a vision of ideal Asian representation that's specially curated for East Asian Americans and their, their experiences yeah, with racism. Yeah, for sure. I think right. so. And I think like that's why they've completely dispensed with telling uh, something closer to the truth about what a Chinese Singaporean rich family would live like. Mm-hmm. I, you know, if this Chinese Singaporean family is as westernized as they say, like their kids go to boarding school in the UK, they have, they all come home with American and British accents, I promise you there is no way they are listening to Mandopop. <laughs> <laughs> like they're not listening to acoustic covers of like Madonna's Material Girl. In Mandarin. Yeah, in Mandarin. Yeah. Like why would they do that, you know? Um, but it's sold to us as a package. Like this is yeah. what upper class Singaporean lifestyle looks like and it's not. Yeah, and there's just all these like so so they've they've really gone down to kind of the gritty nitty gritty details for what they think Asian American audiences will pick up on and then completely glossed over the details that Singaporeans will pick up on. So like when we watched it, a whole bunch of us watched it and a lot of us pointed out like why is it that, you know, Nick Young's mother and her generation, so her sisters in law, they speak Cantonese to each other, mm-hmm. but then when Amma and Amma is like the older generation, when she comes in, she speaks Mandarin. And what? in Singapore, it's very odd to have the younger generation speak a dialect exactly. when the older generation is speaking Mandarin. And this is very, very strange. And it's immediately jarring and it's immediately kind of like, this is very strange. So, yeah. And it's like yeah. perfect, like clipped China Mandarin. Wow. It doesn't sound like Singaporean Mandarin. Right, I think right. the actress is Chinese. I think she was. Wasn't she in the Joy Luck Club and that's why they kind of passed her? So that was like a little nod. Yeah, yeah, to like, because she was in the Joy Luck Club. But also like their family is Methodist and they do Bible study and Mm. they have Mm. been in in the Straits since the 1800s. So it's like unlikely that they still speak dialect. They've been in the Straits since the 1800s and they speak clipped Mandarin. Yeah, it's like all of this is incongruous. It doesn't really make sense, but... Only, only a Singaporean Malaysian audience would pick up on that. I think. Yeah, I mean, even the even like her best friend Pek Lin's potted Singapore history is like this, right? It's talking about how the young family as super old money came from China to Singapore when it was pig farmers and right. snakes eating apples and from trees, the and then they, so. they they built like everything. They built like everything, and it's so like again positioning Singapore. I can't as, remember the exact line, but I feel like she said. Um, she attributed like our wealth now because of like their family's efforts in like building Singapore up. And I'm their like, family was like infrastructure, right? Builders, right. Yeah. And I'm like, that's like Porsche Kong is more influential right. <laughs> in so, building Singapore. Right, so. Let's be real. Yeah, well, Porsche Kong is like this actual what case is it, like a soap that? opera. <laughs> we wouldn't call it a soap opera. It's a sitcom yeah. about a contractor, a Singaporean contractor. But yeah, like so it, again, kind of made it seem like Singapore's just this offshoot of China where this Chinese family come build everything even though like historically that's not the case right Mm -hmm. historically all these contributions coming from a whole range of of different communities and ethnic right, groups. Right, right. And, and interestingly, there was, there was an article that, I think it was Must Share News or something, and the headline, the headline was, the OG crazy rich oh, Asians right. of Singapore came from the Arab community, which was like, 
which is, I mean, I mean, that's historically factual. Up until perhaps the 1830s or 1840s, much of the land in like metropolitan Singapore was owned by wealthy Arab merchants. St. Andrew's Cathedral sits on land that was owned by um, an Arab merchant before it was gifted to the British government. Um, I mean, just so, so many things. If you're talking about like contributions to like the setting up of infrastructure and things like that, much of it. Um, is owed to land that was owned by um, wealthy Arabs, and yeah, but uh, so 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 this whole idea that oh the, the, this again and just this whole idea that the super rich in Singapore has always been made up of this Chinese elite um, is it, just it, it just doesn't it's incongruous with with um, the historical facts. I think it's um, also ahistorical to have like a rich Chinese family leave China with their money in the 1800s and like yeah, build Singapore. I exactly. feel like... How's that possible? Why would I, they I, go here? Yeah, why would they come to... I don't know. <laughs> like, so like they had money in China and so life was good. So they thought, let's go to, to this Singapore. colony <laughs> and let the British... Kind in the of 1800s like, when it's like already a British colony. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 But yeah. I mean, there's no mention of it ever being a colony as yeah, well, right? It was like, true. there was no... There was, like Singapore was just pig farmers. Then Chinese family came and built it. So okay, that even erase the British. Yeah, so <laughs> that's one whole another level of like some triumphing ways, you know, over In some white ways, supremacy. this is like politically uh, woke. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, it, it kind of made me think, like, because like there was this interview that I read, and I, I keep thinking of it where Kevin Kwan describes his family, and he's like, "We weren't really Chinese Chinese; we were like colonial Chinese." Oh, what on earth is colonial Chinese? And and then like now, like when Piglin's telling the story, I'm like, maybe in this this crazy rich Asians universe. The young family are the colonizers. Like, mm. if there was no British, the I mean, colonial Chinese. Yes, they're colonialists, but I even then, it's a. It's mm. different, yeah. But I feel like what Kevin Kwan was trying to say was like his family doesn't speak Chinese anymore. Yeah, yeah know, they were like, more they, British. They were, they were the, like, the king's Chinese. You yeah, know, they were like gentlemen thing, yeah. with like, like yeah. suits and canes. So and basically, they were Branakans, uh, but like they didn't know what. I mean, because that that ties up to what this, the the legacy of the Straits Chinese in Southeast Asia, right? They were like king's Chinese tried very hard to assimilate into European society, colonial society, and were, you know, kind of... They, they established themselves as a kind of old-moneyed class. But clearly, like, within Crazy Rich Asians, that doesn't square. I mean, there's a complete lack of awareness of that whole his pattern of, like, the Chinese diaspora. I mean, it would um, make perfect sense if the family was Peranakan. I think only, yes. only like, a few a few twists to the... Like, shifts to the story, like, they wouldn't eat... They wouldn't be sitting around the people making dumplings, they'd be making kueh. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. like, that would make yeah. sense, but that wouldn't read for an Asian-American yeah. audience who's yeah. like, what the hell is It queer? actually mm-hmm. doesn't really make sense to me that they are such an old family, old money family, and they are not Peranaka. Mm, exactly. Yeah. You know, like, exactly. that's just really... I mean, they could also just be like, like, you know, they're, they're, they're like, one of their patriarchs from ages ago is like a Chinese pioneer, like, came with nothing and like, built everything thanks to his clan, like, association or whatever. Right. But... Like, why does this movie... This movie doesn't care about history. (laughs) But so, yeah, so, like, it's one thing to see kind of America embracing it, but how do you feel that Singapore has also embraced it, right? So the Singapore Tourism Board has been going hard. So, like, if you go down near around Dobigot, near the the shopping belt, you will see 
banners of Crazy Rich Asians on the lamppost with STB logos on the top. And then I think it was one or two days before the film's official release, the National Library Board sent an email to all the library members to say, you can borrow the Crazy Rich Asians ebook before the film comes out, read it before. So everybody got this email of like, borrow the book. It's a national um, effort. Though. Yeah, it's a national effort. It's so it's, nice that the National Library is supporting Singlet, though. Wow. <laughs> And and yeah, so like they they've definitely like when they went to the US for the premiere, I think STB had some sort of after premiere sort of party where they actually flew Singaporean chefs in to cook Singaporean food to Hollywood. So, this yes, was, yes, wow. to LA. So they were doing all this promotion, and so the Singaporean establishment has really kind of embraced this. At least the you know tourism marketing side of the establishment. We've not seen what the political leaders say about this film. But um, they've embraced it. So how how do you feel about that? Like to have this basically government well, agency. I think it's not like... surprising at all. I think like this idea of Singapore as like an exoticized saleable commodity, Singapore as an aesthetic has been. I mean, there's a there's a lineage you could trace it all the way back to like the colonial period and and the golden age of travel. I mean, like Singapore is evoking this idea of like colonial grandeur in the Far East and um, tied up to like, you know, the, the legend of the Raffles Hotel. Um, it's a brand. Singapore, is a, has, uh, Singapore as a brand has existed for a very, um, has existed for a very long time. And I think crazy rich Asians, kind of like having like this ultra rich, um, untouchable expatriate class, it definitely ties, it's definitely embedded within this history. Um, of like a Singapore made for for travelers and tourists, um, yeah. So it's not exactly novel, but certainly. Mm-hmm. If they can celebrate colonialism, I'm not surprised that this <laughs> yeah, is happening. Yeah, it's true. So. Next next year in 2019, they're going to be celebrating the bicentennial of Raffles Landing and the beginning of colonizing Singapore. Uh, I and think. Like, I, just, I just think that you can easily cut the movie to make it STB ad. Yes, you know, because the places to, yes. to make it a tourism board ad. Right. The, but where do they go? They go to um, Gardens by the Bay mm-hmm. many times. They go several times. They go to Marina Bay Sands, and like that's already in all the tourism board ads. Mm. They go to Chimes, which is like right in the middle of the city. Though Hawkinson, they go to Newton, um, which is also where tourists go because it's near Orchard Road. And then they go to Taloaye, where there are all these like gentrified shop house bars. Right. They don't really go anywhere else. Even when they drive, like, all the roads are pretty near town. No, I mean, the roads they drive on are basically the expressway you go from the airport to exactly. your hotel, right? Like, yeah. So, <laughs> Which, like, but, yeah. makes sense if you're very, very rich. You're not going to go hang out in Tobayo. Mm-hmm. Like, it's... That is the way that it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, like, I'm not surprised that SCB yeah. loves it. Because, like, if I'm an Asian-American and I'm watching this movie and I don't have any context for why Singaporeans find it a troubling representation, I'm going to look at this and be like, wow, this place is... Cool. Mm-hmm. and then I'm going to go mm-hmm. and I will see all the places I've seen in the movie there's like it, it maps very easily onto a tour yeah. that the government could push I would not be surprised mm-hmm. if they had a walking like map later for like the audience and be like hey this is where you can go in Singapore yeah I mean I think I was definitely I felt like I was laughing inappropriately in the film because I was laughing so hard at all these 
clearly STB-esque shots mm, of yes. like the skyline and you see the skyline so many times and you see the so Malayan fast. it was so fast and it was just so like why why is this shot here why do you need to see it again and again and again and it's so funny because like so there's there's one scene early on where like everyone's texting everybody and it's supposed to show like the news has just gone around Singapore and so they're like texting each other mm-hmm. and somebody is like just happens to be sitting next to the Malayan like, <laughs> his phone. they're like text the twins and the twins just happen to be like walking on the boardwalk in gardens by the oh, bay wow. and then like text 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 it's a place that we all go, you know. Yeah. Like, you need to go through that to get to like MRT, right? And then somebody is like leaning against a shop house, checking her phone, and it's just so hilarious because it's so like it just it's rotates, postcard yeah, like, perfect, isn't it? Yeah, the, yeah. Like, the same three locations, and it also is the kind of like if I had never been to Singapore and I googled it, this is where I would set my film. Yeah, I yeah. don't even think like real Singaporeans spend that much time in Gardens by the Bay. Not really. No, no one can no. afford that, and it's too far out. I definitely burst out laughing when they arrived in the airport and Constant Wu is like, this airport has a butterfly garden. Oh, yeah. And I was just like, who made you say that? Oh, <laughs> was it in some sort of like funding guidelines that you would say this? Like, this butterfly garden in this and a movie theatre. Yeah. Which we all go to when we're at Changi Airport. Actually, when I used to work at Changi Airport, I'd like hang out in the butterfly garden. It's quite chill. But yeah, so like when we actually talk about representation then, then what is it that we want? So what is it that we expect? So like somebody... When I was talking about the lack of minorities, somebody was like, but there's a Malay princess in there. Oh it's like, what, what do you want? What more do you want? And I was just kind of she like... She is so... played by a Filipino actress, right? Yes. And it's not clear that she's Malay. I just wanted to put it out there. Like, the representation is also... I mean, going back to, like, Filipinos and Malays, like, being part of that scene, like, that I, I would be fine with it, maybe. But, like, she's just not... She, she could be Thai royalty, which they're so desperate to prove right away. So... Yeah, doesn't matter, right? When we when we were discussing this in our group chat before recording this podcast, there was almost a crazy rich Asians as chat chain of. I thought she was Indonesian, but you said she's Thai, but her name is Intan, and <laughs> like we just couldn't it figure just, out. She's so replaceable, you know, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. She's just foreign, like she's just more foreign, like more yeah. rich, more foreign, more yeah, powerful. Exactly. Mm-hmm. What do we want to see? Yeah. And this is what I was thinking about. Like, do we want... Like, is our problem with the fact that everyone there is a rich Chinese person? Or is it the fact that everyone there is rich? I mean, because there's a very... not There's not a very clear distinction between, you know, race and class in Singapore, especially where the two can intersect. So, like, do we really want a film where, like, there also are super rich Malays and Indians? And, you know, and saying, like, oh, so this is a much more authentic picture of Singapore. I don't think that's yeah, the case. Yeah, Crazy Rich Indian movie will be a completely different beast. The, <laughs> the wedding right. will be more gigantic. Oh I can my. say this, by the way, if you don't know who I am, I'm Indian. So this is cool. This is chill. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so like, you know, like... Uh, because... And, and it goes back to what you were saying, Kirsten, about how, like, the film addresses and or engages with, like, like all the ultra-rich in a way that's supposed to be satirical but really isn't because there's something almost commemorative in the trashiness of it. Like, um, so again, like, I don't think I'd be entirely comfortable if there were more races, but still, they was, it was still locked up within this, like, um, this, this, this insulated world of, like, ultra, the ultra-wealthy. Um, yeah, because, like, most Singaporeans just aren't that. And, you know, especially now when we're, when, when the question of extreme inequality is becoming incre- increasingly pertinent in Singapore, like, is this what we want? I, I really... Hmm, I don't want to hold this movie to a standard that I wouldn't hold other media mm-hmm. to. And so, like, when I was a teen, I was watching Gossip Girl. It's about a very certain, like, 
Upper East Side Manhattan elite. And it's the same kind of wealth that is in Crazy Rich Asians. And so, like, I'm not critical of that. It's disgusting in exactly the same way, but mm-hmm. I'm not... I'm not saying like this doesn't represent all the races because it doesn't. It's white people in New York. Um, and I, I feel like it should be totally fine if there's a movie that wants to use Singapore as a playground backdrop as long as like, as long as other narratives also exist. That's the problem is yeah. that nothing else is yeah. going to, like when do you think the next time is when like Hollywood's going to fund a movie set in Singapore? Exactly. China Rich Girlfriend. Oh, China Rich Girlfriend is not, oh, it's in, not Singapore. in Singapore. It's oh, China. okay. This is called China Rich Girlfriend. Yeah, so it's like, they're not they're not about to set a movie here. Mm-hmm. So actually, you know, like I don't I don't expect representation from Hollywood for Singapore really. Like it's going to be a super long time before they really set anything that's about Singapore. You know, they might come to Singapore again to film something because now they see like pretty backdrops that they might want, right? Like Hitman forty seven also came to Singapore and shot in Gardens by the Bay because it was pretty backdrop that they want. So we might get that again. So in terms of earning like film crew money, film production money, we might earn but some. With but with Hitman you know, 47, they had like, I think someone mentioned they had like brown bodies, you know, as extras. So why can't we kind of at least aspire to that? Is that so uh, hard? Mm, that's, that's a damn low bar. I disagree. <laughs> I know. I mean, I know. I know. But to like, like be reduced to a body. Is, I know. But like yeah. at the same time, like there was literally, it was so forced in this movie. There was just mm. like nothing. I think I heard like maybe one like non-Chinese, non-white a- accent. I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I would pit my hopes on Singaporean filmmakers and Singaporean yeah. storytellers yeah. to yeah. to do that right. And I think it is very clear, you know, with the the way that the world is set up, that we will never have the resources to match Hollywood's machine. Mm-hmm. Like you're not gonna be able. Like it was a thirty million budget, mm-hmm. I think thirty million US dollar budget for the for the movie, and that doesn't include like marketing and stuff. We just don't have that kind of. Yeah, mm-hmm. we can't compete. And I guess that it would be a better hope that like distributors are more likely to buy Singaporean-made films to distribute overseas than to have Hollywood. Because there's, there's the other option, right, for like distributors in America. Instead of waiting for Hollywood to fund the next all-Asian film, for American distributors to just buy films made by Asians in Asia and distribute it in the US and yeah. get it into the cinemas. You know, you don't have yeah. to like... I understand that there will be then a difference because it's not about Asian American experience, it's about Asians in Asian experience, but that's another way to kind of build understanding as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. I think you wait long, long, la. Yeah. I feel like <laughs> I feel like Singaporean <laughs> movies, yeah. the ones that would be would make it, you know, our art house movies and they just play to a different audience. Right. Um and and I think maybe the buck is passed to us. Like, why has there been so much hype about this movie that we didn't make um, when we are making movies all the time? Like, Singaporeans mm-hmm. are making movies with a lot more, you know, with, with a lot tighter resources than Hollywood is. But when I feel like the press is not as excited when, you know, we see ourselves represented. Like, there are tons of movies featuring HDB point decks and there mm-hmm. are tons of movies featuring multiracial casts, mm-hmm. but they're not getting the same kind of excitement that Crazy Rich Asians is getting it, it almost feels like we're more excited that someone else has noticed us mm-hmm. rather yeah. than that white about like mm-hmm. actually being in a movie mm-hmm. so that eagerness for like validation yeah. almost right that like has Western to validation. And it exactly. goes back to what you were saying about how Hollywood shapes our perceptions right of like mm-hmm. everything and I think we want to be comforted in that like we want like hey like they've recognized us so like for Hollywood to like sort of rehabilitate the image of Singapore for for the international gaze almost yeah, well, yeah. yeah I mean like, 
<laughs> because it is, I would say, I mean, like for for a very like uncritical from an uncritical perspective, it is like a very glowing image of Singapore that you see in Crazy Rich Asians. Um, there's nothing particularly like horrific or uncomfortable about what you see on screen, unless you are a Singaporean and realize like how you know unfaithful it is to the rea- to the reality that we live. I mean, Singaporeans even get a little bit excited if in, like, natural disaster or alien movies, <laughs> Marina Bay Sands features Gosh, in one of the explosion right. scenes, right? Like, we even get a bit excited about that. That was the remake scene. for Independence Day, or something. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. got blown up. And no, but, like, I mean, like, like, Singaporeans still want to see accurate representation. And I feel like after more people see this movie, someone is going to comment on the fact that Henry Golding said the best satays in Newton Sutters. Are you <laughs> yes. serious? Yeah. It's, not, it's, like, not true, and I feel like that's the thing that's going to make the Well, I mean, like, in the book, it was, like, Lava Sat, right? something like it was different so technically that was how but like just like the whole um yeah ordering your food in a hawker center in four languages like no one no one has the capability capability to do that that. right yeah Yeah. like like chinese singaporeans also don't have enough chinese to like speak (laughs) to the the hawker center to tell them what they yeah but it's it's thanks to that scene that we know that henry golding speaks good malay he does like Possible, like Possibly. compared to his Mandarin, okay. I would say it's good Malay. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So that was like our shining moment, lah. When yeah. Henry Golding like, like set aside like a few he, minutes he orders in Malay. English, yeah. in Chinese. Malay, and in Chinese. Wow. Yeah. And once again, Tamil erasure. Sorry. Once again, Tamil erasure. Oh dear. <laughs> So just one thing that, you know, Singaporeans always kind of look out for is whether people speak Singlish and what the accents are. So what did you think of the accents in Crazy Rich Asians? There wasn't that much of a Singaporean accent to be heard. No, and I think that's the odd thing because um, when I was kind of reading about the Singaporean actors and they were, you know, very excited to represent Singapore as a Singaporean and be on Hollywood as a Singaporean and stuff like that. Um, But there was just no... Like, I couldn't really relate. Like, even, like, Pierre Peng, he sounded like... I couldn't make out, like, the words he was saying. He sounded like he had something in his mouth the entire time. And <laughs> and someone mentioned that, you know, they actually relied on Chinese subtitles to understand him, and they didn't... Huh? They, like, I think it was Darren who said he, he needed Chinese subtitles to understand what... Oh, the right. subtitles in the, in the cinema. Right, yeah. right. And even then, like, wow. his Chinese wasn't great. So, like, you know, he had to really resort to that. Yeah. That's awful. It, actually, the, the, I think that thing is very weird. Um, and maybe speaks to directorial choices because Fia Peng's character is Singaporean, mm. born and raised. Mm. He's supposed to be an army captain. Um, like who, a commoner, as he says. Yeah, right? he's, he calls himself a commoner. He's just like a regular like army guy who married into mm. this like giant rich family. And then it's like transitioning to being like a tech guy, a tech CEO. Um, and like Fia Peng's English accent, from what I've heard in like stuff he's done before this is perfect for that role mm-hmm. but he yeah like I just said it sounds like he hit something in his mouth and I feel like maybe the director told him to sound more a certain way but I couldn't place my finger on what that direction so, would yeah. have been so he was performing a, a, an accent for the film like he wasn't using his own neutral so like occasionally it would slip okay and then you would get a twinge of a Singaporean oh. accent but but you got this twinge because whatever accent he'd been told to do he wasn't sustaining it the what whole accent? time. What accent was he performing? I don't know. It was it more, neutral, more I think. British? No, no, I don't think it was British. It was right. meant to be more neutral, but like the way he was enunciating, it was he just has so a very neutral accent for right, a Singaporean. Right, he does, he yeah. does. Yeah. Okay. So it, I, it, it kind of sounded like 
the sort of thing that when you are very self-conscious about how you sound, then mm. you try to police the, your own accent. So and then, especially when he's like next to Gemma Chan, who is a British mm-hmm. actress. And so like there's this sort of accent. And yeah, like uh, I was reading this Yahoo Singapore article where he was interviewing the Singaporean cast and they said they wish they could have spoken more Singlish, mm. that they had to perform and do you know a line in a Singaporean accent and one in a more neutral accent and let the director choose. So... I don't know if Pierre Pong had like that same issue, but it was just really odd. Like especially the oddest one would be Aquafina's role mm. for a Singaporean. It's just like so in the book, Picklin is like her Singaporean college mm-hmm. friend, right? It's who she comes back to visit, and they're supposed to be nouveau riche Chinese crass. So like it's kind of like you know an alien struck it rich something, oh, wow. you know, like. Or like Crest. the Kachukam kind of yeah. Mm-hmm. So so I expected you know of everybody in the film. Okay, the old money people speak like they're British because they've got all this privilege. But of everybody in the film, that should be the most Singaporean family, right? This mm-hmm. nouveau riche family. And then you listen to her, and it's just like I mean, like there is why I feel like for our generation, then yeah, like people kind of aspire to like co-opting that blackness so that's why there's like Iggy Le- Azalea level of black scent but mm. even then it was just so disarming because mm-hmm. like even Singaporeans don't manage to pull that off because we kind of code switch from like that black scent if, if you want to be that person right mm. to like Singaporean I, I would be really curious to ask Singaporean audiences as they leave the hall if they realise that that character was supposed to be Singaporean because I think wow. until Kirsten told me like you told me before we went to see mm. the movie, but watching the trailer, I had no idea she was supposed right, to be a right, Singaporean. Yeah. She was speaking like African American vernacular yeah, like yeah, English, she was right? Very well, yeah. I mean, I saw that in in the trailer, and there was no way she could have been Singaporean. And the thing from is, the way like her, her as an actress, she doesn't have that. Like if you see her on talk shows, she doesn't have that that accent. So, so why is she playing that up for this role? Yeah, it doesn't make sense. So like at first, there were there was a lot of uh, defense of Aquafina saying that you know. Or she grew up around black people, that's just right, how she speaks. Right. And I'm like, even if that were true, well, I've heard that it's not true, but even if that were true, she's been hired to play a Chinese Singaporean character. Mm-hmm. So I kind of don't care who Aquafina grew up around. Yeah. She's supposed to be playing this character. Why why does this character sound like this? In fact, if you look at the family, so like Ken Jong plays her dad, mm-hmm. he doesn't sound Singaporean at all either. And that whole kind of introduction to him is really uncomfortable because like really sexist it's not just that the racism right you all yeah know. yeah so Ken Jeong Ken Jeong is a Korean American actor and he's playing Aquafina's dad who's supposed to be Chinese Singaporean who has somehow like made it you know has, has, has done well himself and so they have this like big mansion that's decorated in a very gaudy fashion um, and he introduces himself to Rachel and doesn't really speak in a way that is intelligible. Intelligible. It's like Rachel, true, boo, true, true, and it like it doesn't sound like a racist Chinese accent. It doesn't sound like a Singlish accent. It sounds like he can't speak language. Okay. And then he goes like, "I'm just kidding. You know, I'm from. I, I went to school in the US. Like, I sound like this." Um, which, so that's the punchline. Like. The pun- yeah, the, the punch. Like we are. I feel like we as Singaporeans are sometimes somehow the punchline. But I. It's a very. Poorly executed yeah. joke. Yeah, yeah. And also, I really didn't get what he was doing. Yeah, and if he's Singaporean, he went to school for four years, he wouldn't come back sounding like that. Even if he really wanted to. 
he wouldn't come like something like that. I mean, the people who do, I mean, people pick up American accents over a semester. It's not that successful. But it's not successful and you'll be shamed, you'll be shamed into switching back to Singaporean, like, colloquial English anyway. So, like... So, yeah, like, the most Singaporean I felt was, um, so at least the saving grace for that family, otherwise it would be, like, a trash fire of a Chinese Singaporean family, is Ko Ching Man, who plays Mm. the mum. And at least she sounds to me believably like an auntie who's who's really suddenly like rich. suddenly rich wow. but she's still you know an auntie yeah. you know like outside very hot come in got aircon yeah. oh, you know like she said so that yeah wow. and I, I was just like she says got aircon I think she says there's like, we aircon. have aircon like you know yeah. there are some things so she's not allowed to say yeah. Yeah. yeah but it's like almost it's kind of like the closest we've got so you can't it's hold almost, on it's it. almost like the singlish is like crying out for help within you know behind this performed it um, gets sneaked in so yeah. you can so like in one of like the dumpling scenes then like they're talking to each other and I think Janice Cole managed to sneak in a hano oh and then you're like oh and you're like that and that's it it's gone you know that's that's all <laughs> you're getting for Singaporean yeah Gosh. yeah so like you know that's you know, I, I agree that, like, you know, Michael Pierpong's character could have sounded a lot more Singaporean. Even, they could even have played with the fact that he's speaking kind of mm. oddly and then slips into a Singaporean accent. Like, mm. it could have been more interesting if that was actually played as a plot point that <clears throat> he's a commoner who's married up and he's trying. Yeah. He's trying, but he can't. And that's part of his angst. But we were it's discussing not, that, yeah. you know, like... If he was revealed to have an affair, then like he slips into like super Singaporean, like with his other lover, you know. Yeah, wouldn't so, that be like? He's an army captain, is it? I mean, that's, that's his character. He he's a retired army captain. Gosh. He's making like, the switch the into being a startup CEO. Gosh, okay, interesting. Yeah, it got, but again, like you know, that could have been an interesting way mm. to look into this class differential because think, it's never mm. really explored. Yeah, I mean, that for sure, like, that storyline is underexplored and it's a waste. But I also feel like the decision to not have Pierre Fung speak in his natural voice mm-hmm. is quite telling of, like, the, the, the decision makers belief that the Singaporean accent is not intelligible to a foreign audience. Mm-hmm. Because Pierre Fung speaks perfect English, yeah. in my opinion, right. I feel like he sounds like a foreigner could understand him. Yeah. So why did they, did they decide that they couldn't? Yeah, and if you see like interviews with Ronnie Cheng, who plays like one of the cousins, um, he was saying, "Oh, they were looking for a very specific accent, a very specific accent." And it's because I grew up in Singapore that I I speak this accent, and and that's why you know this is a role for me. And so, were they really looking for a Singaporean accent? I mean, Ronnie Cheng sounds he sounds he fine. sounds fine. Mm-hmm. He also is playing a rich Asian who would have lived overseas for a yeah. significant period of time. So he 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 plays the role fine. Yeah, but like if Ronnie Chen can be allowed to have his slightly Singaporean tinge accent, I don't know why Pierpong would not have been allowed. But also, I mean, let's talk a bit about the timing of the release of Crazy Rich Asians. Mm. So it's opening at a time when Singapore is actually talking about inequality and poverty a lot. A lot of it being prompted by, you know, the release of uh, Teo Yu Yen's really brilliant right. book, This Is What Inequality Looks Like. And that really talks about, you know, the challenges that families in rental housing have experience on a daily basis and she talks about you know she really questions the systemic inequality in Singapore and so we're always we've been talking about that in Singapore it's been coming up in the papers over and over again and last Sunday at the National Day Rally which is the annual big speech for Singapore's Prime Minister Prime Minister Lee Hsien Long was addressing cost of living concerns and then just a few days after that Crazy Rich Asians opens and it's like everybody in Singapore is filthy rich in this film 
And so it's kind of really, I suppose, a little bit jarring to to see this celebration. And again, knowing that this celebration is what international audiences will have as an impression of Singapore. It's already an impression. So like, I constantly go overseas and meet Singapore. Uh, meet people who think, oh, you know, there's no homelessness in Singapore, there's no poverty in Singapore. And so Crazy Rich Asians, in that way, just plays into that mm-hmm. exact same mm-hmm. stereotype, right? Like, Which is why it doesn't work as a satire, right? It just doesn't do any of that, like, expository. Yeah. It's already mm-hmm. reinforcing yeah. what people already think. Right. I mean, like, you were saying that it's not self-aware. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so where 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 does it fit? I mean, if it's if it's not satire, I mean, it's it it claims to be, um, but they're not. I mean, is are they really? Do you get the, the sense author, that they're laughing at themselves? No, no. Yeah. Wait, did the author himself like claim that it was satire? Yes. Or? Yeah, he yeah. did. But yeah. he, I mean, his backstory is that he also comes from a very rich old money family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is his experiences like exaggerated for the sake of like entertainment. Yeah, I thought that the film didn't even try to mention how they got their money. I think they just said, like, briefly, like, oh, they're property developers. And, like, you know that in Singapore, if you're a property developer, you have a whole bunch of construction workers working for you, you know, and they're probably being underpaid. And mm-hmm. I wouldn't expect this movie to address it, but it's not like they their money is not ill-gotten. I think also the fact that the movie doesn't show anyone from a working-class background mm-hmm. or a middle-class background gives off the impression that we are, like, some sort of playground for the super-rich. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, like, real Singaporeans don't live here. I mean, the closest you get to, like, real Singaporeans are the two aunties who sit at that mahjong table for that pivotal mahjong scene, yeah. and Constance Wu just goes, don't worry about them, they're half-deaf and only speak Hokkien. Yeah. And, and that's their relevance to the entire thing. people as accessories, you know, and, like, this was, like, the Singaporean representation that you get. Oh, they were really, they were half-deaf. Like, I mean, the characters were. I mean, oh, she said they she were. Said I mean, they, they never said anything, so we don't know if they really are. Like, but... the whole point of them being half-deaf was so that they could intrude on the conversation like this important like showdown between like the two main characters they were right? literally props because you yeah. need four people to play mahjong mm-hmm. so they were just there to forward oh, that exactly yeah, the plot yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and, and you were talking about like how there were like domestic workers in the scene yes. shown like scuttling yeah. about mm-hmm. and literally like groveling at the feet of you know I mean okay so there's, there's this one scene where Gemma Chan's character Astrid returns home and she's just blown like several million dollars on diamonds and I think what <laughs> How much were the earrings that 1. she bought? 1.2 million. There yeah. we go. At cost price. Yeah. Wow. I know. That's the crazy rich Asian life. Yeah, so she comes home. She's spent millions of dollars on diamonds. And she's trying to hide all her purchases from her husband, who feels very inferior because he's just an army captain. He doesn't have, like, property developer money. So her, like, seven maids, all wearing French maid costumes, like, stand at attention and then she's oh like you god. know what to do and she drops her back they're all like running all around oh my god like and supposedly I think supposedly she's benevolent right she's supposed to be the she's nicest. supposed to be the best she's yeah. supposed to be the most down to earth grounded sweetest. cousin yeah you know oh and she has all these like domestic workers um it's uh I feel like what if, is that to say besides ugh. if you yeah. wanted to like show like it was a style, um there could have been a pivotal scene with like you know domestic helpers or like those migrant workers because like clearly they would have been involved in their life somehow and yet that wasn't shown at all. So I mean the whole so the whole thing is very morality free and it's very consequence free. There's this yeah. there's this moment where they're like at the bachelor party and the really obnoxious cousin is firing a rocket launcher into the sea yeah Why? and and then, and then just before and like what's really tra- it's like just before like 
So like towards the end of the scene, he, they, they show like a woman in a bikini walking up to him. And just before they cut away, he fires a rocket launcher and she gets hit by the... Oh, yeah. And you see her like... Bat, and she like flies off body the fly off screen, yeah. And like nobody mentions this. There's no consequence. It never comes up again. And it's like, what is... What is going on? <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's very different like, from like the trashiness of like Gossip Girl, which was very like indulgent, but also like you could kind of see where it was going wrong but here I don't know like well I mean in Gossip Girl like not, not to stand for this series it also has a lot <laughs> yeah. of problems right, but like their wealth was also like a double right, right, like they were, they were out of touch mm-hmm. and you know but don't, you don't see that here you don't see that in the movie like Astrid's like Jaren Chan's character her moment of empowerment is reaching up on top of the medicine cabinet in her toilet and putting on these million dollar earrings and you know that's for her like that's her moment when she's like yes I'm my own woman. Oh god! What the hell? Yeah. When she, it's when she puts on her earrings. Because it's yeah. Hard. Because After she spent this... so much time hiding like all her extravagant her purchases quote, from her know, husband, he problems, you know? and she's finally like, uh, I, "It's not up to me to make you feel like a man." And so like she stops hiding and she puts wow. on the earrings. So like for her, that's like her. Yeah, and freedom, you're like, like you this know? is a huge spoiler, but basically her marriage with her husband falls apart, and then. She's like, you stay in this house. I own 14 houses. I'll go live in one of them. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's great for you, you know. But uh, yeah, so, so it's all very consequence-free because everyone is so rich mm-hmm. that like misogyny, you can buy your way around that. You can buy your way around adultery. The film opens like the book with them going into a hotel in the UK and getting kicked out because they're Chinese and they're very posh um, white manager right. like looks down on them and he kicks them out and then she comes back in and she's bought that hotel and so they like just bought their way around racism mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. so everything is kind of like it's a little bit difficult for me being like just you know as go Chok- our, our former prime minister go Chok Tong would have said a mediocre singaporean to, to empathize with any of their stakes mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. at one point he's like the conflict also, right? Like his mom doesn't like his girlfriend and he's like, oh, but if if uh, I propose to her, his best friend's like, will you really walk away from all this? Will you really walk away from your family and the money? And you know, it's going to be so difficult for you. And I'm just like, even if he walked away from his family, both he and his girlfriend are professors yeah. at NYU. They're going to be fine. <laughs> They're going like, to be fine. So like, it's really difficult to be like, oh my god, this is really horrible. You're going to lose everybody, and like, you know, it's it's very difficult to buy into these things. But the thing and, is, like, okay, so going back, I mean, just the question of inequality, like in Singapore, and how this film like squares up to that. There was like a Twitter thread floating about talking from the experiences of someone who actually did live amongst the circles, mm-hmm. and and you know, she was saying that oh, no, actually, Crazy Rich Asians is pretty accurate. It actually, you know, it, it is actually showing... Up, um, this is before how, the film came out, so this she hasn't before. seen the movie yet. That's true, yeah. So, you know, oh, yeah, Singapore rich people in Singapore do, like, buy out private islands and have, like, expensive beach holidays and live in a world that is kind of without consequence in the sense that they are less limited to do whatever they want. Um, and this is a problem. Like, do you think, then, that Crazy Rich Asians can help to... Add an add a, a dimension to our larger con- conversation on inequality in Singapore. Yeah, but it's like, that, like people yeah. watch this movie and they're radicalized. Like, what the heck? Yeah, I had like, no idea they had that much money. Exactly. Wealth yeah. redistribution now. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, like not not in the sense of like actually mobilizing people, but but really, I mean, um, when we talk about how this is the the film is not authentic, 
we also have to acknowledge the fact that there is this like jet set expatriate super rich class in Singapore, um, you know, and and yeah, that how yeah. that is a problem. I don't know if people will pick up on that. That like, you know, in all the ways that the film is or inauthentic, there's a particular way in which it is unfortunately authentic, and that's. <laughs> And I, I don't know if people will pick up on that, but it definitely kind of kind of just is very striking just in terms of timing as a Singaporean. But again, I feel like I am the sort of Singaporean who would pick up on it. I don't mm-hmm. know how many people actually would. I saw a tweet today by by some, uh, I guess she was in the back of the cinema and she was live tweeting the film <laughs> and kind of reading. And she was just like, oh, you know, they don't even go into the fact that like if you're that rich, a property developer or something, you are definitely tied to the political elite. Right. And, yeah. the, and the ruling yeah. and the ruling party somehow interestingly you know, enough gets that rich. yeah like the the movie I think this way back the only western representation of Singapore that does not mention the government yeah no I was actually kind of curious like how do you have all of these like social networks which again like could have been a way to bring like I don't know non-Chinese uh, rich people in right like how, how are they not like the way wealth was portrayed was so mm. one-dimensional and so boring there was no way to kind of play around like how shady it could, it could get um that was just I don't think it's trying to do that lot. I, I know I also feel it, like, but like I feel like if anything like the film did get right with just how monotonous being rich can be. Mm. I say this as someone who's not rich, so I don't know. Maybe being <laughs> rich is like really great. Oh being rich must be boring. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, like what are their problems? <laughs> my mom doesn't like my girlfriend, but we'll come around eventually. But like I think we were kind of discussing it like yesterday when the whole title, the setup was Crazy Rich Agents and it sounds so interesting, right? But it's not even about Crazy Rich Agents, it's literally about like these two people who kind of just like follow like middle about, middle about, right? Mm. And it's not about the collective of like Crazy Rich Agents, so. Well, there's also this portrayal of like the fact that they're crazy rich but then also playing up that Asian-ness of like uh, we're, we're so crazy rich that it's some sort of like almost like a Chinese imperial family sort of we must protect that so they they kind of portray the conflict between Rachel and Eleanor Nick Young's mother as a cultural conflict Mm. as well and not just a class conflict Mm. and so like it's kind of like oh but you're American and it's about the pursuit of individual happiness whereas in in Asia we know that it's like family before self and you know you and and it's just kind of like, it's very essentialist in that mm. way, but it's also, like, it kind of makes it sound like, so, like, there's super rich people who are, like, feudal, and, like, Nick Young is meant to be the crown prince of mm-hmm. this family empire, and therefore they're really protective, and I personally don't feel like it works, because throughout the, the rest of the film, right, you can see that clearly their objection is that she's not rich, and their objection is that she's not one of them, mm-hmm. and not one of them in the sense that she's not from a moneyed family rather than she's American because I mean look they have so many like friends and family who study overseas Mm -hmm. and everything and come back and suddenly they are upset with her being American it's kind of like very odd so I think it would have been just so much more interesting if they just owned up to the class conflict and been like we don't like you because you're poor like literally she goes to a bachelorette party where all the awful rich girls call her a gold-digging bitch And so that class conflict is there, but isn't examined in any way. Oh, and it's it's not even like a huge class conflict, right? Because she's she does pretty well for herself. She's an economics professor. She's the youngest faculty member of NYU economics. So you know, it's not even like a huge 
class gap, but mm-hmm. they don't really address that either. Yeah, I mean, she's not like a plain Jane, so to speak. I mean, if you're an economic economics professor at NYU, then like you know, you 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 you're not doing too bad. So to speak. she has a PhD. She has she's a PhD. Okay. She's yeah. fine. Yeah. Um. Mm. Yeah, I I I do think that it's interesting that this is the way that we're seeing ourselves, like the way that Singaporeans are seeing ourselves. Um, in the media and maybe it it eclipses the conversation about inequality a little bit mm. you know like where I feel like we consume news pieces in silo so there's like this movie where we're so excited to see the gardens by the bay and then yeah. Marina Bay Sands and then also at the same time listening to our ministers tell us that we should buy cheaper milk powder and like not use so much of our data plan mm. but those things are not speaking to each other yeah. That makes sense. yeah, they really should actually, mm. and there's not enough discussion as well. So like this crazy rich Asians things plays into this trope that's in the news a lot, right? Of an ascendant Asia of now, right. now the billionaires are coming from Asia. The billionaires are not white anymore. The billionaires come from India. They come from China. Asia mm. is the new economic powerhouse, mm-hmm. and like you know, the global economy is kind of reorienting, and all these all these things. And but it doesn't talk about how like whatever you see as rising Asia is very often, more often than not, built on poor Asia. It's not like the whole of Asia is rising, right? It's like these crazy rich Asians are building their fortunes on poor Asians. Mm -hmm. There's nothing radical. And yeah, yeah, and like none of that is really talked about or seen at all. And I guess you can't really... I, I mean, I don't expect that film to show it, but it's just not even featuring in the discussion very much and like i think it you know it's good that like new york times then does an article that shows that the that the wealth gap in among asian americans are really high Mm -hmm. and to show that this doesn't even reflect the asian american experience in a way right like because rachel chu is already doing really well you know and then she comes to singapore and it's not about subverting that classism Mm -hmm. but how do i get the people of this class to respect me right. so that it's I can fit in. Access. Yeah, it's gaining access mm-hmm. and not about challenging. And it would be a really different movie if Rachel Chu was played by a Singaporean girl who grew up in an HDB estate. Mm-hmm. You know? And like she is dating this boy, she has no idea what class position he's come from. And then one day he's like, Do you want to come to my house? And she's like, What the hell is happened to me? You know, like that would be that would be a very different story and, and it would be easier for us to talk about inequality in Singapore but by externalizing this encounter as like an America versus Asia thing Mm -hmm. it makes Asia seem like it's uniformly a place where there's all this hidden money when you know it's only a very very few people and like the cousins in in this family they're not doing anything that makes them money you know one of them is like a crappy film director one of them is a socialite so it's not like they are producing wealth for themselves they're living off of wealth that already exists that's that's interesting but i don't feel like it's being noticed i mean um like i think going back to what you were saying about you know the family and like like they were coming from money and like they're not producing anything from themselves there's this scene where um one of my cousins uh i think um the filipino 
like the the brown cousin, right? He comes up to oh, Kitty his name Pong. is Oliver. Right, Oliver. Yeah, he comes up to Kitty Pong and says like, "Oh, you shouldn't marry this one. You should marry because he's the fourth son. So he doesn't even get anything." Mm-hmm. And I know technically that's you know like that's very false. He'll clearly get something, but mm-hmm. he redirects her to another one who's like the first ch- or, or only child. Mm-hmm. So again, like that's the setup for the sequel. That's the plot ah, of the sequel. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, which has already been confirmed. Okay. Wow. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, well, that that. Cousin Oliver, he's played by a Filipino, but he's also supposed to be Chinese. No, but like Singaporean. that's the thing. Like, yeah. how interchangeable are we? Why are we allowed like that one brown person who's? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't know what to make of it actually. Yeah, he's also like their token LGBT. Yeah. Yeah. Rainbow <laughs> sheep of the family, you call right. it to him. Rainbow sheep. That's what he calls. Yeah, that's what he says. <laughs> this is interesting because you were talking about like how, you know, there's this, there's this like almost the sense of returning, um, to the emergent Asia. Um, and how like okay now that Asia is doing well then like Asian Americans can sort of look up to it and things like that but I mean just comparing it to like other representations of Asian Americans that have already been done in the United States I think it's interesting that like you already have something like Fresh Off the Boat Mm -hmm. which already positions an Asian American family an Asian family as being American and, and really sort of having successfully assimilated to struggling to assimilate, struggling to yeah. assimilate um, with like the American dream, but they're kind of like so. So there is that that aspiration is very much American, like you know, living in a in a very nice suburb, you know, picket fenced. I mean, this is this is their kind of like lifestyle. So like, why would they why would they then have another sort of aspirational vision for Asian Americans in Singapore, like? I mean, one of the yeah. things that Crazy Rich Asians was praised for was its its examination of the difference between uh, Asian American and Asian experience. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, she's Asian American and she's come back, and everybody's Chinese, but they're different. And and you know, I've seen good re- I've seen reviews that that pick up on this and say, "Oh, this was so well done." And you know, from this perspective, as a Chinese Singaporean, it it feels like it's very superficial because they are basically comparing an Asian American experience to an Asian experience that, and the Asian experience is constructed. It's not a real Asian experience. It's like a total conflated Asian experience because it doesn't seem to recognize that even within Asia, there are diverging experiences. So like she comes she's a Chinese American and she comes to Asia and she realizes, oh, I'm not the same as the Chinese here, but the Chineseness they portray is this very strange, like, confused, confused <laughs> conflated Chineseness yeah. that even as a Chinese Singaporean, I'm like, that's like, I remember we came out of the film and you were saying, like, I didn't expect it would be this Chinese. And I was <laughs> saying, I am Chinese and I also found it too Chinese. Like, it was wow. just really kind of odd because, and then there are just things that don't gel, don't make sense because she's, sitting in a scene with her friend and her friend's like, yeah, it's just because they think you're a banana, you know, yellow on the outside, white on the inside. And it's a very strange thing for me watching to see her worrying that a Chinese Singaporean would think that she's a banana because Chinese Singaporeans are just as bananas. (laughs) And they come like, we can barely speak Mandarin ourselves. So like, why would any one of us be judging her? Somehow it's the rich Singaporeans, right, right, that she's encountering. So they are more likely to be even more banana because none Mm. of them speak in a Singaporean accent. They've all been educated overseas. So it's it's very unlikely that's going to be the problem. And I feel also that 
the way it's positioned is that she, as a as a Western Asian, like an Asian American, mm-hmm. is inferior to Michelle Yeoh's like Asian dynasty family. Yeah. But I feel like in actuality, an Asian American probably has more social and political yes. clout in Asia than we do. Yeah, you know, yeah. and and I feel like this completely glides over Western hegemony. Exactly, and and the yeah. fact that if you if you come from the US and you're Asian. You could have a very good life here. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And just like when people hear that accent, right? They'll just be like, "Oh, you know, you're from America. It's not, you know." But just so like, I just kind of looked this up. You know, mm-hmm. the idea that none of them actually work for their money and they earn it, and it's kind of, I guess that's kind of true to Singapore because we we removed estate duty mm-hmm. in like two thousand and eight, and so like it is possible for them to just inherit and inherit and inherit, and none of this is going to be redistributed. Mm-hmm. And so this is the reality in Singapore that it is possible mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. have that wealth inequality, which is why Singapore has also like so many. We're constantly said like you know we have the most number of millionaires per capita, but we also have growing inequality. And that's something that, you know, as is really the government are kind of struggling to address. Yeah, and especially when, you know, like STB, the Singapore Tourism Board, is embracing this film as well. So I've heard people say, like, they find it quite distasteful how excited STB is about this portrayal of Singapore as crazy rich are we saying that these are values that we want a foreign audience to have for Singapore Mm -hmm. like these are the values of Singapore that we want you to see like I actually when I when I was watching some of the more extravagant displays so like the scenes of like the bachelor and bachelorette parties Mm -hmm. instead of feeling represented I just feel I just felt really really embarrassed Mm -hmm. I was kind of like oh my god, please don't think these are Singaporeans. Please don't think they have anything to do with me. This is really embarrassing. And it's just Alienating shocking. Yeah. yeah. It's just, I don't want to have anything to do with this. Right, right. It's, yeah. Okay, I mean, going back to your comment about how this is meant to be representation of sorts, and then, like, it kind of goes down that whole, right, it's representation, but only for Asian Americans. And then you question that, and they're like, oh, it's East Asian Americans. But then there's this moment where Ken Jeong talks about how, you know, Koreans are, like, uh, obsessed with plastic surgery or something like that. And I thought that was just very, like, out of nowhere. And it was just, I, it bothered me because, like, if you're supposedly fighting for, like, East Asians, like, why are you putting this, da- like, demographic down again then? Like, where does it stop? Where, where who do you truly want to represent? You yeah, know. there's a scene where he tells um his son, who is a huge creeper, by the way. Yeah, and you see to laugh at it by the end of it all, because family. Oh. Yeah, yeah. But he so he tells his son that like Rachel Chu is like, you know, exhibit A of the sort of girl that you should date because she's very hot and like don't date one of those K pop skanks with oh, like yeah, yeah, classic so surgery. Exactly like what so, means, you know. You know, which which is kind of like so it puts down like Korean pop starlets, but it's also like doubly kind of unsettling because he's Korean himself. Oh, right, yeah. He's yeah. Korean-American is, himself. Yeah. And so it's, yeah, I, yeah, and as, as you say, it goes down this rabbit hole, right? Every time it's critiqued, it's like, oh yeah, it's about um, Asian-Americans, it's about East Asian-Americans, it's about very rich. Mm-hmm. And, and it just keeps going until like, who yeah. exactly are you It's so confused. This? And also like, I, it's, it, even in like the Asian-American context, I'm getting the sense that it's also just, it, it is actually reinforcing stereotypes rather than like, doing anything to to change that because they have um asian americans do have i mean a, a certain demographic do have a reputation of being model minor the model minority um in in the u.s um and also just this like this um orientalized fantasy of asia as being you know home to these extravagant 
yeah. heiresses and, and, yeah. and billionaires. There was this Chinese-Canadian reviewer, I think, who was like, Crazy Rich Asians just yes. reinforces a stereotype mm-hmm. that like Asians are now rich and they're coming to your country and they're buying your land and exactly. they're driving up your property prices and mm-hmm. gentrification is their fault mm-hmm. and it's ruining things and that, you know, Crazy Rich Asians basically supports that sort of worldview right. that, right. yeah, Asia is now big and scary and coming with their money yeah. to drive us out of our homes. Right. And I, I can see that. I can see how it and totally I mean, it plays so that. well into like this Trumpian rhetoric. Like, oh, China is out to get it to get your job. It's 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 out to get a bigger share of of the pie. And you yeah, know. I I found like in in the US they thought it was kind of clever and turns it on its head when Ken Jong jokes to his children like eat your food their children starving in America and people are like oh <laughs> wow that really subversive and because mm, poverty I, I is really know. very funny. I I don't don't know that uh, I think some people laughed in our cinema but I mean like even when he sees that like like you look at the spread of food on the table Mm -hmm. so like why would you even like why would you as a dad try to make that comment when like clearly you have too much food for like 10 people no no so the the joke is that in the states and also like I feel like in some Chinese families they'll say like eat your food you know children are starving in Africa and then it makes Africa about the joke because it's like this land of poverty Um, and so like I mean I do get that but like even then like it's it's like it just feels like so out of place you know Mm -hmm. as like coming from him and like that kind of commentary in Mm -hmm. a sense I don't know like he's just so sexist and racist and like just so one dimensional I don't Mm -hmm. know what he's doing there (laughs) (laughs) oh Ken Chong (laughs) but that was interesting okay and people were like it's subversive subversive. it's seen as subversive I guess I I think that was one of the comments after the film when we came out of the cinema and I, I can't remember who exactly said it but someone said it's like revenge porn for Asian Americans who just want to get one up over like, white people. Like, like the first scene in London. Like, they buy a hotel in London because someone yeah. was racist to them. So that's sort of like, yeah, you know, getting our own back after, you know, being the minority, being oppressed, having being the butt of jokes. Now we are... Yeah, but it, it's yeah. A, it's a future that replaces one rich class with yeah. another with rich another. class, yeah. and poverty is still seen as something that's funny. Exactly, yeah. you know. Um, so, like, what Asian solidarity? What representation mm-hmm. did you have? Do we think though that like crazy rich Asians are a good starting point, and after this, hopefully, if if crazy rich Asians do our Hollywood will do better and do more Asian films and more diverse range of narratives, do you really think that this is going to like the success of crazy rich Asians will teach Hollywood to do more? diverse Asian narratives? I wouldn't be surprised. I just feel like Hollywood is currently on a trend where it's realized minorities make money. Yeah. So they've got, you know, Black Panther has made them a lot of money, Girls Trip, yeah. um, Moonlight. Moonlight. And they're all very different movies, but they've realized that black audiences will show up. Mm-hmm. And I think they're just trying their hand at different niche interest groups because people will show up and spend money. I think people should just, I mean, just stop holding Hollywood up to the standard of how Asian representation in cinema should be um, should work, because you've already got like thriving cinematic industries and scenes in Asia where films are being produced every year, starring all Asian casts, where people don't even speak English, and you know for a very long time. So um, why why should we still be hung up on whether Hollywood does Asia right? And I also feel like we should stop being hung up on whether or not we get representation in Hollywood yeah, as like exactly. a as like a marker of anti-racist progress. Mm. I don't really I have cancer on this podcast. I don't really <laughs> care if um if my experience is in a movie or not, if my material reality is not changing. Mm. You know? Yeah. So like you can represent Asians all you want, 
but it doesn't change the fact that Southeast Asians in America are some of the like lowest income groups right. and you know are 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 facing like awful living circumstances mm-hmm. you know like you can put as many black superheroes you, as you want mm-hmm. on tv and you're not changing the fact that like racism affects the class position of different groups right. well thank you everyone for joining us in this discussion on crazy rich asians and thank you to the listeners for tuning into this episode of the podcast uh, next week we will have Southeast Asia Dispatches again, which brings you stories, interviews, and perspectives from around the Southeast Asian region. And thank you so much for listening. If you want to support our work, you can subscribe to New Narrative at newnarrative.com slash join. And on newnarrative.com, you will also find all the stories and research papers and comics that we've published thus far. So do check it out. And thank you so much for listening in.